0: The sermon topic today lined up really well with the AGM family meeting that we have coming up after the second service today, because we're talking about covenant relationships in terms of how that plays out in spiritual family and in church itself. So is this thing going to work? Oh man, so fun. So, church as covenant community. What is it, how does this whole concept of covenant relationships that we've been talking about for the last two weeks play out in the way that we relate to each other? Here in this weird thing that we do called church that sometimes we don't stop and think about and go, what kind of responsibilities do we have to each other? What does the fact that we're all Christians mean for our relationships? What can, I, what can I expect from people that I go to church with? What does this concept of spiritual family even really mean? A church is a family, but it's not really a family. But technically, when I read Scripture, it seems like it should be even more than a family. Like family seems like an understatement. So... I don't know about you, but maybe you've, have you ever stopped and thought about what, how, like how close church family is supposed to be? Maybe close is a weird word. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe we need a deeper word than close. But if we really are the body of Christ, and I don't know, if you started to read scripture and use the, hear the language that it uses for how we're supposed to relate to each other, it is extreme, like unity to the nth degree. So we're going to talk about that today. How does that work? And uh, how do we not all just become like the same and we all just turn into the, a club that all wears the same t-shirts and has secret handshakes? It's, it's deeper than that. It's like there's something really spiritual theologically going on that actually binds us together. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, we're going to be reading in Colossians 3, but before we do, I want to just remind us of the core principle that we're working with from two weeks ago. So if you are here two weeks ago, you would have got a deep dive on this. But... Uh, Contrasting the idea of contracts versus covenants. And it's important for us to know this, the difference in these words. So a contract would be a legal agreement of expectations. So you guys have all probably had contracts in your life where it's like, I'm gonna do this, and then you're gonna do that, and we're all gonna be okay because we're all gonna follow the contract. And there's not a lot of mystery in it. There's not a lot of risk, actually. It's it's probably accurately a thing designed to mitigate risk. You're trying to get rid of risk (laughs) by establishing contracts. And uh, a covenant, uh, in, in stark contrast, would be very much the opposite. It's a pledge of love. It's not based on what you can get. It's a, it's a pledge of other-centeredness. And if you look at the, the definition here of the covenant based on, a, based on unilateral sacrifice, all that means is I'm gonna love you in a self-sacrificial way without asking for your permission. <laughs> It's like, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice for you. I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to prioritize you and love you unilaterally. I don't need your agreement to do that, in a sense. I'm just going to do that for you. And whatever comes back is, you know, will be a free gift. In stark contrast to the contract idea where it's actually based on selfishness and mistrust. So if you go around with all your relationships establishing contracts, um, that has an undergirding of mistrust at its core, where it's, I don't really know if I can trust you with, sometimes I use this analogy when I preach of like lobbing a softball and hoping you're, the other person's going to catch it, that's a vulnerable moment. And so instead of lobbing a softball, hoping that we can play catch, you, you have a 10 minute conversation about what's going to happen if I let go of this ball, you know, and you better not let me down if I let go of this thing. And, but a catch is, would be bizarre if you were making sure they caught it every time, like you know they are, it's this, it becomes a game, a catch, and you're connecting. So, uh, we have to move out of contracts ways of thinking to covenant ways of thinking. So, of course, if you heard the sermon two weeks ago, I I'd really advise you to go listen to it if, if, you, if you missed that one. it's uh, Jesus is the perfect example of the, a unilateral sacrifice that we're all benefiting from today. It's a, of his own, own volition, and he switched the whole system from contracts to covenant. I'm going to love you and that's where we're going to start from. So, the question that we want to answer today is how does God's covenant with us that we respond to, how does that shape our, how does that shape our relationships with each other? Okay, great. Like, I'm in full agreement. I am walking in co- covenant with God. So now what does that mean for, 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 for you and I? So I'm going to make this statement here. It says this. The church is what humanity looks like when it's in relationship with God. The church is what humanity automatically looks like when walking in covenant with God. So how does that work? Well, we're gonna spend time unpacking that today. Um, growing up, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a, like as a kid in a, in a big church until I was 12. But then um, uh, my parents planted this church when I was 12. So I kinda had this front row seat on church planting as a early teenager. And lots of highs, lots of lows, was, it was a crazy journey. But for sure the lowest parts, for sure the lowest parts, are having people come and go. And people come and go for all sorts of reasons. So <laughs> please don't hear me say today that going is always bad. There's way more nuance in this. But as a, like a, as a especially maybe even as a teenager, I don't know, I, when people would come to our church Maybe this was my immaturity. I'd like to think it was my childlike faith, but maybe it was my immaturity that I just assumed we were going to be friends forever. Like if you showed up and you came to anything, I had this thing in my heart going on that's like I will know you forever and we're going to raise our kids together one day. And, and it's just like I, I don't know why. My heart just joined people immediately. And I, I look back at all the names and faces. Like over the last 20 years, our church is 20 years old, there's probably... 2,000 people that have come through it in 20 years. I don't know, maybe that's an overestimate. It's, it's up there, though. It's thousands. There's a lot of faces. And I think, without fail, for sure, if I had a chance to have a conversation with you or sat next to you at something or maybe even less, there was this thing in my heart that still actually exists that I've worked hard to keep alive that uh, I just assume we're going to be family. And if I... If I would go crazy if I, uh, if I thought anything less. Now, are there brilliant reasons to come and go from churches? Of course, we send people all the time. Like, God takes people other places. I'm not saying it's always bad. But I have been looking inside my heart, being like, man, that was painful to just always want forever, you know, with people. And that's just not reality, and that's fine. But what, what was it in, the, in my heart that actually still exists? There's something good about that, that uh, I'm not trying to brag, but I think there's something good about that in my heart that's the most painful thing and also the source of probably the most fruit in my life, wow. is that I just assume we're gonna be friends. And um, I wrestled through this a lot, and I still do, that church relationships, this is a blanket statement, but church relationships are a lot more disposable in our culture than I'd like. I'll say a controversial thing. They, <laughs> Man, there's so much tension in what I'm saying, but they seem to matter less than they should. I'll say that, you can do whatever you want with that, but they seem to matter less than they should when I read scripture. <laughs> and, uh, and this idea of disposability is really hard for me. And, um, if you show up for 10 seconds, why does my heart feel instantly joined to yours? It's for sure not about hoping that everybody stays together and we create a club that grows in numbers so that we gain momentum and feel good about ourselves. It, it, it's, it's not that at all. For, at least for me, it's not that at all. There's something going on in my heart that I think is pretty spiritual and theological that I'd like to unpack today. So, um, let's read some scripture. That's just my story. I, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, in terms of how church works and people leaving and coming and going, I'm making a comment on how my heart feels as soon as there's a taste of being in covenant community with someone. Something happens in my heart. So what is that? <clears throat> Colossians three twelve says this. Uh, yeah, Colossians three, starting at verse twelve, says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with <laughs> compassion. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, thank you for your words, and um, thank you for this beautiful description of what it's like to be in you and with each other through you. Lord, there's just so much in here and there's, there's so much beauty and I, I find my heart just craving what it's describing. And so would you teach us how to do that by your spirit today? Let it not be about effort or knowledge or intellectualism, but would your spirit do a work in our hearts towards these beautiful words and realities? <clears throat> Jesus' name, amen. So I have kind of a three-step process. It's not really three steps, but it kind of made more sense to make it three steps because there's kind of a progression to it. And uh, what I'd like to do is, is walk through the scripture a little bit, and I'll just take you through how I've processed a progression in being in covenant relationship as a church community. Like, where does that begin? What, is, what has to go on in my heart? And then, what is the result of that? And it's kind of three steps, they're in no particular order, but these are the things that I've, I've just picked out. So, the first one is we have to rest in God's covenant with us first and foremost. Um, I think that uh, the first verse that I, the the first sentence that I want to extract from the Colossians thing is this idea that we're holy and dearly loved. So we have to start there. That's why two weeks ago we unpacked this idea that God has a unilateral, you know, on his own accord, decision to make you holy and to love you through Jesus' sacrifice, his unilateral sacrifice for you. So if we... (laughs) The point here is that if we don't know that we're holy and blameless by the work of Jesus in our hearts, and if we don't know that we're dearly loved eternally in more ways than you and I really ever could love each other, then we're already flawed from the very beginning. (laughs) So uh, so, uh, expectations would be a really dangerous thing, I think, to have on other people, especially if we're talking about I expect you to be my Maybe talking to church people or people you're in covenant relationship with, you know, people that you're walking together, you're part of the same family and the same body, and to expect that they're going to dearly love you into holiness. It's like, okay, wow, that's a lot to expect of another person. They could be a reflection of something, and we'll get there in in, in a minute, but to walk into church going, I need this to be my salvation, it's it's a pretty scary thing off the top. So... I think that's why we spend most of our time together like in worship and in prayer and just reminding ourselves of the covenant that exists even if you were on your own. So there's lots of people that don't get to show up to lecture theaters and worship, sitting next to other people. And so of course, they're still part of the church. So uh, this is probably just simplistic, but we can't really move on from it until it sort of rests in our hearts that there is something that happens to us through the work of salvation that is between you and Jesus, right? And his covenant, he he fulfills it, regardless of our interpersonal relationships. So um, another sentence that's kind of in in theme with this, of resting in covenant, is that, and I love this this concept, is that uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, just kind of underline the word rule. Um, God's covenant to you actually establishes his authority over you. Like he has the authority to love you, and uh, you're you're actually letting you're letting his peace rule. And um, I think we've talked about this, oh maybe a year ago, uh, I, I seem to remember saying it in some form or another. But this idea that peace is really closely tied to authority. The more peace that exists in an environment, is directly correlated to the goodness and worthiness of whoever is leading that moment makes sense if you have a good king, you have a peaceful kingdom. If you have a bad king, you have an unpeaceful kingdom. And even in your own life, if you are, um, if you're ruling it and leading it, uh, the question begs to be asked: Is are you the best person to be in charge? And if you're left in charge, do things move towards peace or shalom? Do they move in towards holiness and reconciliation with God's plan for the world, or do they, or do they kind of sneak away from it? And I think it's important to remember this idea of establishing a covenant with God and receiving his salvation actually has a lot to do with going you're actually in charge of my life now and the peace that you bring me rules in my heart. So I don't know if you've ever connected those dots before of peace and authority but if you're feeling anxious, which is an epidemic in our society probably, um, I always find it helpful to make it an authority question. Who's in charge? If I don't feel peaceful, it's Typically for me, an arrow towards who's leading and who has the most authority. And if it's me, it's usually logical that I feel anxious. So I'm not a great God. So, resting in God's covenant to you looks like being aware of the depth of your salvation. It's a beautiful thing to meditate on. Also, uh, it's, it's Lord and Savior basically, right? He's our Savior and he's our Lord. And there's no, God's covenant with you is he's your Lord and Savior, and both of those are the best news ever, and you can't separate them, you can't separate them. So let's just start there. Step one, he's your Lord and Savior. Okay, now we can move on. Because everything else I'm going to talk about is about how this fleshes itself out with you and I, and if we have any sort of expectation in other people to be Lord or Savior, it's going to get messed up. So, step two. Um, oh, sorry, sum up sentence. <clears throat> uh, When Christ is in charge, agendas shift away, oh sorry, when Christ isn't in charge, agendas shift away from closeness to correctness. Okay, so this is our first little foray into the um, idea of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts in a way that helps us in our relationships. So I find that when I'm in charge, I usually am trying to be correct. I, 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 I exercise my relationships with other people trying to be right, trying to maintain peace in my own world, but that's actually not what the Spirit is doing. He's bringing peace and he's bringing closeness. Now, I don't know about you, but um, as you think about God being in charge of your life and you put yourself in an awkward conversation or an awkward moment with the people around you, what does that peace have to do with that moment? What does the rulership of Christ have to do with that moment? I don't know about you, But have you been in a conversation before where you're trying to be close with the person across the table and they are trying to be correct? Am I losing you? I don't think so. Uh, Hopefully not. I don't know if you've ever tried. You're trying to reestablish connection and they or maybe you're the they (laughs) some of the times but uh, in this particular scenario you're the hero and uh, they are trying to make sure that you're aware of how wrong you were or of how right they are, usually both. And it's a frustrating conversation. And halfway through, you feel confused because you feel like you have different goals, and you do. So if we're talking about pulling together a church in unity and like all the Colossians stuff, Pretty sure the bullseye of conversations should probably be closeness, and hearing each other, not making sure the contracts are all in line, and making sure the T's are crossed and the eyes are dotted, and everyone making sure that you're correct. And you see how you were wrong, and we're going to amend that. Subsection B, paragraph two. Maybe you've had those conversations. It's like I'm trying to honor something deeper right now, and I think, I, I, I think that's because. The peace of Christ is ruling in our hearts, and our primary objective when that's true is he just brings reconciliation. He's more interested in relationship and closeness than honoring some kind of agreement. It's like, no, the goal is to be close again. So maybe you've had those kind of conversations. Maybe that helps you frame why he needs to be in charge. Because when I am, I just try to be right, and I try to make sure the contracts are all lining up And I become less and less interested in being close to you and more interested in seeming a certain way. So, resting in God's covenant. Step two. Uh, Put on your new self. So I want to highlight, we're going to go back a little bit in Colossians and just read a little bit from um, what was right before the big chunk that we read. And it says this. Colossians 3 verse 9. Do not lie to each other, Since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on new self, which is being—I love this sentence—which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Okay, I know that's—it's a mouthful. I'm going to read it again. Uh, uh, And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Meaning. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Right? Don't put on your new self. What is your new self? It's it's the we're image bearers of Christ. He's renewing us. It's renewing our minds. And he's I love this idea of clothing. Like he's he's clothing us with righteousness, which is himself. And maybe this is heady and really spiritual, but it's actually deeply practical. It's this idea that your heart is transforming from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and you're you're wearing a new identity, which is His, because He wants to bring you into relationship. I don't know if you guys remember from a few, um, a few weeks ago, this idea of the four chairs, and you sitting in relationship with God, like He's giving you His holiness. It's a beautiful thing. Being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. He is our creator, we're being renewed in His image. Wow, so deep, so beautiful. So I would argue then that the church is actually quite uniform in that we are all becoming image-bearers of the exact same person. Does that make sense? We are all moving towards looking like the same person. So uh, it's, it's way more popular, and it's just as true in some ways, but it's way more popular to talk about diversity. and Let's talk about how we're all different and beautifully unique snowflakes that exhibit God. Also true, (laughs) okay? I'm just not going to talk about that today. It's equally true in some other sermon. But today, we're all trying to become the same. Now, we can't do that on our own, but there is actually a bullseye of who we're supposed to look like, and there is a uniformity that we're all shooting for. And it's actually what binds us together. And it's not a work of your own effort. It's a work of, like, God's covenant to you Like, he's making you this way. So why does this matter? Um, Well, first of all, I think that it's really popular to unify around other things. To unify around anything else, actually. And as soon as we start to unify around, oh gosh, we can make a list. Um, I'm guilty of doing this, and (laughs) the church at large is guilty of doing this, is unifying around anything less than conforming to the image of Christ and it could be th- theological standpoints, stylistic, sty- the style of church, the, 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 the alignment in the people around, like the, we're all the same, and we have the same interests, and we're all the same age, and the same race, and the same, it, it's, there's so much temptation to build the church around uniformity in other ways. Not uniformity in what our spirit is doing and what, the, and what God's covenant is actually trying to do. Now, maybe this is just so what. Like, maybe this is it feels distant, but it actually has dramatic implications into the way that we treat each other. It has dramatic implications into the way you and I relate to one another, because it's true that the church is built in this diversity, and the Holy Spirit has this crazy way of conforming us to the image of our Creator, being renewed to the image of our Creator without squashing our individual individuality and identity. It's a complete miracle how the church is built. That the, the, the Holy Spirit goes, I'm gonna change you from the inside out and actually make you more of who you were called to be. It's gonna create an amazing amount of unity because it's the unified part is really deep. It's like you're a new person. And you're Christ-like, like you're like me. I, I'm with you, in you, through you. That's what binds us together. And because I'm amazing, <laughs> being God, I don't have to change anything about you, really. Like I you're still you. In fact, the uniqueness of who you are just points more to the beauty of who I am. And so the church ends up looking like this group of people that is deeply aware of the impact of God's covenant to us and, and walks in it and is aware of it and knows it and lets that be the thing that all binds us together and then our, 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 our individuality actually becomes even more expressed and the church becomes this crazy eclectic group of people that has its hearts joined in a way that our uh, personalities or all the other things that aren't him could try to do, but never fully do. So I'd like to think that the the, the t- you know twelve year old Jonathan, I'd like to think the twelve year old Jonathan is wanting to be joined to people because the you just because the spirit of God is uniting you, and there's you see Christ in the other person, and it's like we're brothers and sisters, like we're brother and sister. Of course we are. Why wouldn't we be? So that's the. Uh, uh, I'll read one more verse. This is just going back to what we read earlier. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, the idea here is that when we're conformed to the image of Christ, what we get is his heart and his motivation, which is always love. And this is the unifying factor. You and I are the church to the degree that we are like Jesus in that his motivation is always for the other and always loving and always interested in unilateral sacrifice for the other. Now, if that was true about all of us, I have a feeling unity wouldn't be that big of an issue. Like if our motivation was always love, what could possibly drive us apart? What could possibly alienate us? What could possibly cause division? And so this is interesting because I usually think that not feeling connected is about is about you and I not getting along. D- don't you do this? Like if you don't feel connected somewhere, or you don't feel close to someone, or you feel like on the, you're on the outside, I instantly just blame the horizontal connections. I instantly just go, if only they were more like this, if only I was more interesting or more charismatic. Or, and we just start going, my lack of uh, belonging to God's covenant community is the fault of me or that person over there. Now, do people do wrong things and create all kinds of barriers that make it tricky? Oh, yeah. But the argument this morning is that covenant community is actually based on our covenant with God. And then we see people and our motivations change and our differences become laughable. I think laughable. So, this just brings us to our third point. Step three. Uh, treat others as family. Another way of looking at this would be walk in covenant. Like, walk in that covenant. We're we'll going read another verse here. Colossians 3.11 says, Here, more Colossians, Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I this is not know, it's so deep. it would take forever to unpack that. But the idea, um, the idea is, Paul, stop texting me. Um, <laughs> he's giving me feedback on my sermon. You're hilarious. Uh, Colossians 3, it's very, it's very comforting. Thank you. It's very encouraging and also really distracting. <clears throat> I have an iPad. I have an iPad that displays my text messages. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here's the point. Here's the point is that if Christ in, is in all, this is, this, is the, this is the big drum roll moment, if Christ is in all and is through all and is all, we honor our covenant with Christ by the way that we relate to each other. Does that make sense? Like, you get to honor your covenant with God by the way that you treat other people because he's in all. And it's not like I'm gonna get right with God and then I'm gonna work super hard at loving other people, which sucks. And then when that's hard, I'll go back to you. No, no, he is in all, and we are all be conformed to the image of Christ, and we're the temple of God, and I don't know about you, but I, I bifurcate, I split my relationship with God and then with other people. And then it becomes really hard to explain why I feel connected to others, and, and uh, why we wanna do life together. And then we we're scared to, we're scared to make the connection about our motivation for one another. Like, it doesn't feel like enough sometimes. Like, is my love for another person really enough? Could I, um, could I really honor them? Like, could I really honor Christ in them? Could I really assume that that's what's going on in their hearts? And then some cool things happen is it deeply begins to establish your covenant with God in ways that just you and him is hard to do. Like, you start, you start loving other people and you start bringing out the best in them and you start bringing out the spirit and saying i see christ in you and i see you as my brother or sister that does wonders for your own faith because you start to see how uh ubiquitous how 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 everywhere god is and how your motivation of love really is all that's going on and you're like my core being is changed like i see you in a way that christ would see you because he's in me too and then another cool thing happens, is that other people go, you're treating me like a brother or sister. And the whole system becomes a family fully based on God's unilateral sacrifice for us. Because it drives us and it changes our whole being. and makes us loving people. So I wanna read just a chunk of, I didn't put it on there because it's, it's kinda long, but you, maybe you can close your eyes or whatever. It's, it's, it's Jesus um, answering a question, and it's about the sheep or the goats. So. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It's in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Listen to this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd shep- separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go visit you? Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So, I just, I think that The way you and I are treated by God is unbelievable. And if this morning you need to take a pause and rest in God's covenant to you, then do that. That's step one, right? And uh, you are these brothers and sisters of mine, says Jesus. Like that's you. And then he says, would you like to join the family? And whatever you did for the least of these, whatever you did for the most difficult, whatever you did for the most different, whatever you did for the most alienated, the most sick, the most disenfranchised, the most outside, you did for me. And all of a sudden, this whole contrast between, you know, we love God and then one another and then the world, right? There's actually not a progression to that. It's all jumbled up. Because the, the renewing of your spirit isn't some program, it is like a miracle. It's a stone to flesh, new being, family of God. And if salvation is anything less than that, I'm not really interested. I'm just not. I'm not interested in a program that makes me a better person. I am, a, I am interested in having a better king, and a new heart, and my motivations change. And I'm interested in a miracle. I'm interested in a miracle. I and mean, a church is a miracle. If you've been part of it for long enough, you will know how miraculous it is <laughs> you spend a little bit of time in it. So, my encouragement to you this morning is, our, we're, I mean, we're going to talk about a family meeting in a couple hours. And uh, maybe I'll say this there. But our church's hope, vision, and future is 100% incumbent on your desire to love Jesus. It just is. There's nothing else going on. There's no wizard behind the curtain of like step eight is, aha. There isn't more steps. (laughs) And we will be the church to the degree that Jesus captures our hearts, transforms us from the inside out, and draws us into relationship, because it's what he's always doing. And if we stand up here and talk about authority it's because we're trying to bring the peace of Christ. If we stand up here and talk about love and acceptance, it's because we're trying to see Jesus be the unifying factor in all of that. It. It's just all that's ever going on. If we talk about reaching out, it's because we're trying to help you love Jesus. It's just the only thing happening. And, uh, and then we, this crazy thing grows, and it grows in the right way, and it becomes a family, not an organization. So, just reminding you of one last verse from what we already read. <clears throat> the end of Colossians, the Colossians verse we read, it said, and whatever you do, um, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You just do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is a crazy thing to do something in the name of. Do you do everything? Do you do everything? Do you conduct your interpersonal relationships in the name of the Lord Jesus? Sounds a very old-fashioned way of speaking, but if you stop and think about that for a second, that's a wild thing to do something in the name of. And you see how the motivation drastically changes. And I think, I think, that you'll find your hearts begin to join and it'll be the least of your problems. Because these messy people around you will be the biggest gift to you. They are to me, no offense. (laughs) They are to me. I'll invite the worship team up. Father, uh, thank you for this Thank you for the, <laughs> thank you that the, the logical conclusion, of us following you and loving you is community. And connection and whatever the opposite of loneliness is. Uh, thank you that the direct output of our hearts changing, the direct implication immediately, is being drawn into your kingdom and to your family and to having brothers and sisters. And Father, I know that there's so many people in this room, including myself, that have experienced the loss of of transience and relationships coming and going and severed connections and confusion and wondering what's going on. God, I pray right now that you would give us gratitude for all the times that we've been taken advantage of and not heard. And 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 our desires to be connected have gone unwarranted. But Father, I pray that you would remind us now that you're willing to do that for us every single day. You're willing to be rejected by us every single day and ignored by us every day. And you are so desperate to be in relationship with us that that's just, a, that's just part of it. So Father, I pray that you would give us a desire for, for love and for connection, and you give us your hearts. And I pray that you would work a miracle in our church. That as we do that, and as we fight for that, we would see the lonely set in families, and we would see a lost come home, and we would see the hungry fed. Thank you for the beauty of your gospel and all that it does, and how little work it is on our part. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>